Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It is a privilege for me to be here with you. It's been a couple years. I think it was pre-COVID the last time I had the chance to be up here with you all. Um, I, uh, I, I was blessed by what I just saw, this uh, commissioning of elders. Um, in addition to doing Young Life, I am an elder at my church, which is in Merced, Gateway Church, and uh, Gateway sends its greetings to you. We love Cornerstone and uh, have the opportunity to pray for you often, and we're grateful for all the phenomenal ministry that's going on here. But in addition to doing Young Life and being an elder in my church, I am a husband. My wife, her name is Jenny. She is a uh, administrator at a middle school in Merced. That's where I live. Uh, my son does ministry. He's 24 years old. He does ministry at Fresno State University in Fresno. And my daughter just graduated from Westmont College and is now a teacher in Clovis Unified. So that's a little bit about me. Life has been exciting for us the last couple of years, and uh, we have enjoyed doing what God has led us to do. Now, Young Life is a ministry that reaches out to kids. I oversee Young Life from Lodi down to Bakersfield, and I, uh, we have about 25 different ministries going on now. I oversee the staff, and I help launch new Young Life programs. I'm going to be sharing a little bit about Young Life as I'm with you today. But to dive in today's topic, I want to reflect on something that happened just this last week. How many of you here are uh, football fans, honest football fans? Okay, there's three of us. Good. For the rest of you, uh, you probably saw this at the top of your news feed because it was right up there with politics this week, and it was this event that happened on Monday night. Live, Monday Night Football on ESPN, this strange event happened where one of the uh, Buffalo Bills, they're playing the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the Bills players, a a defensive player by the name of DeMar Hamlin, was hit in a just fluke way that caused him to fall and uh, go into cardiac arrest. The game kind of paused. The players stood around, and for nine minutes, they, they struggled to keep him alive. In fact, it said before he got to the hospital, he actually died twice, and they revived him. What was unique about this particular event, and I think why it was at the top of our news feed all week long, is what happened as it was going on. Let's go to, I've got more pictures here. These massive monsters of men that we honor and celebrate for their strength, keep kind of going through the slides, were caught off guard by loss. There's Josh Allen, he's a Valley kid. And we watched this on national TV take place in front of our very eyes. And then it kind of climaxed with this. And this was on TV, this was on ESPN. The announcers didn't know what to do with it. One of them said, let's all pray (laughs) on TV. And we did, those who were watching. As you can see these next few slides, the, the, the fans, thousands of people watched as players gathered and prayed. Now, I, I, I like football. I really don't care about football. It's kind of fun to watch. But when something like this happens, I immediately pause and ask why. Why does this take place? 
Why did we respond to this event the way we did? By the way, DeMar Hamlin is doing better. He came to, the first thing he said when he came to, you know what it was? He asked who won the game. (laughs) Of course. They canceled it. They're not going to play. They're not going to finish the game. But I ask, why do we respond this way? And I want to suggest that the reason that we respond this way, that the players responded this way, that we respond this way when crisis comes, is because we don't know how to handle loss. We don't know how to respond when things get hard. When difficulties come, when the phone rings and we get the, uh, the call that we never wanted to get, when we get sick, when we lose a loved one, When that thing happens, we don't know how to respond. So we run from it, we hide from it, we convince ourselves that we're invincible, but we're not. And it hits us hard, and we don't know what to do. You know, in young life, uh, since the pandemic has changed, and we've been able to go back and be with kids the way we were before the pandemic. In Young Life, we really strive to be present on the campuses. So the middle school or the high school or the college campus, we work hard to get there with kids. We walk alongside them, kids who maybe don't go to church. We try to connect with them. What we're seeing is that kids are really struggling right now because they don't know how to respond to loss. They've experienced tremendous loss, and the adults that are in their world are not setting a very good example. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about loss and how Jesus responded to loss. We're going to look at John chapter 11. Right at the center of that passage is John 11.35, which if I was going to say what's the, the central verse of the day, it's this one, John 11.35, and it says, and it's an easy one to memorize if you're looking for one, it's Jesus wept. How did Jesus respond to loss? Hmm. I'm going to ask and answer three questions because Jesus cried. The first question I'm going to ask and answer, try to anyways, is why did Jesus cry? Why did Jesus shed tears? Why did he weep in this moment? Secondly, what did Jesus' tears tell us about God? And number three, will or does Jesus, will he ever cry again? Let me pray and then we'll dive into the word. God, thank you for uh, being with us this morning. I I love coming here to Cornerstone. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be up here sharing today. Thank you for this church, for its leaders, for for the people that you've gathered here. Lord, I pray that as we look at John chapter 11 and your experience with loss, that you would teach us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so open up your words to uh, John chapter 11. We're going to start right at the beginning, and we're working on that first question. Why did Jesus cry? Here we go. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. All right, a little background here. This is the only time in Scripture that we hear about this guy named Lazarus. We don't hear about him otherwise, other than connected to this event. 
Mary and Martha, the two sisters, we hear about them a couple times. You might have remembered they're the ones who uh, Jesus is in their house and Martha's in the kitchen frantically working and Mary's sitting at his feet. That's kind of relevant here in a little bit. John mentions that Mary's the one who pours perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. What most scholars do believe, though, is that these three are kind of like Jesus' friends from before his ministry started. Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30-ish. We don't know much before that, basically nothing. Most think that these four were good friends, that they spent a lot of time together. And now they've seen who Jesus really is. And the one who Jesus loves, that's how it describes Lazarus, picture his best friend, is sick. And so the sisters know that Jesus can help, so they send word. Jesus, the one you love is sick. Can you come and help? Here's what happens. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Clearly, we see that Jesus has a plan There's something at work here. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. His heart is for these three people. He loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, if you just look at that on face value, you say, wait a minute, Jesus, We know, we've heard, as had they, that you have some pretty awesome skills, like you can heal people kind of thing. And here's the ones that you say you love, and one of them is very sick. The other two are asking for help. And what do you do? Nothing. He does nothing. At least it seems that way. He does nothing. He stays and waits for two more days. And during those two days, guess what happens? Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies. The sickness leads to death. After two days, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, okay, it's time, let's go. So they head to the place where Lazarus is, Bethany. It takes them several days to get there, And by the time they get there, Lazarus is dead, he's been buried, and he's been gone for four days. So we're talking, it's maybe six days since they sent word, they cried for help. They cried out for help and they got no response. And for six days, they wait. They go through uh, his death, they experience that loss, And they bury him. Mary and Martha bury Lazarus. They are at the lowest point they could possibly be. Not only did they lose their brother, but the friend who they knew could help him was a no-show. He didn't come. Then we get to verse 17. As Jesus has said to his disciples, now it's time they've headed there. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So word has already spread with their other friends, and they've come to comfort Mary and Martha. And that's when Jesus shows up. When Martha, verse 20, heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Listen to what she says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, I, I can't really read this the way that she would say it. But Martha is angry. She is angry at Jesus because Jesus has been a part of her life for many years and she has seen him do remarkable things for strangers for those other people. And here is her moment. And he's a no-show. So she is angry. And she comes at Jesus in anger. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's probably confusion. Why didn't you come? Why am I like this? But she knows who Jesus is still. Look what she says next. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask She's experiencing great loss, but she has not lost hope. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That'd be good words to hear. I would love to hear that. Your brother will rise again. Martha doesn't quite understand this. She answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha's kind of got her eyes on a future hope, a future possibility, maybe even thinks that that's what life's all about. You know, some people, when they say, I want to follow Jesus, they might not really want to follow Jesus. They just want to make sure they go to heaven. So they do what they got to do for that life up there, out there, off over there. Jesus looks at Martha And he corrects her bad theology. And listen to what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she replies, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let's pause there, because there's something really deep that's happening here. But first, I want to ask this question. Have you, like Martha, ever been angry at God? Have you ever been mad at God? I mean, let's be honest. I hope you have, because it means that you're human and real, and honest. In Young Life, we take kids to camp every summer. We have a camp called Woodleaf that's up the road a little bit. And uh, we take them there. We take kids who've never been to church camp. They've, most of them never even been away from home. And we, over the course of a week, share with them the full gospel. They hear all about Jesus. And towards the end of the week, they hear about the cross, And I remember a couple years ago, we were there, and we had this one young lady. She was a senior at Golden Valley High School, and um, she heard about the cross. She heard about Jesus giving his life and heard the hint that he rose again. 
And the, the speaker let everybody go. We went out on the deck and uh, it was quiet and she was standing there and I came out and she just started to sob and weep. And I went up to her, kind of stood next to her. I said, what's, what's going on? And she proceeded to tell me about all the crap that she had been through in her life. About abuse and desertion and abandonment and hurt. And I want to tell you, I was mad. I was mad at the adults in her world who had done this to her. And I was mad at God. I was mad. Because maybe my eyes were too far in the future. You know, in young life, we get to come alongside kids. And what I'm seeing right now among young people, thinking in the public schools mainly, mainly the kids who don't have parents like all of you, what I'm seeing with young people is that they are mad. They don't know, but if you could dive deep, and often we get to, find out they're mad at God. They're mad at God for what's happened the last couple years. Took away a couple years of their life. I know seniors in high school who, who are mad still because they lost most of their high school experience. I'm not pointing fingers who's to blame. They don't know who to blame. They're just mad. And it comes out, my wife, who's an administrator at the middle school, like I said, they see kids who are literally so angry that it comes out every day. Almost every day, they're experiencing a fight on their campus. Kids are angry. They're angry at their world. And if you dive deep, they're angry at God. Martha's angry at Jesus. And in the midst of her anger, he meets her with one of the most powerful proclamations in all the scriptures, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What he says is he says, it's not about heaven. It's not about some future glory. You know who the prize, you know what the prize is in all of this? It's me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And friends, we get to introduce others to that truth, don't we? As we walk alongside kids, as you guys are heading into this new series, so excited to hear about this series that Logan's taking you into, you get to introduce the people in your world who, if you were to listen and dive deep, you would find are angry at God. You get to introduce them to the person who is the resurrection and the life. Today, now, and that is a great thing. Let's go on. Let's see what happens next. Because we're really not even to the point of answering our question yet, are we? Okay, let's go to verse 32. Because now it's Mary's turn. She hears that Jesus is there. Martha's had her exchange with Jesus. Mary's going to head out and talk to him. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice she says the same thing as Martha. What does that mean? It means these two sisters had been talking. They both had this same response to Jesus' no-show. But Mary, she comes differently. Rather than anger, 
she's broken and she's hurt. And she comes to Jesus and she falls on her face, on her knees in front of him and cries. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus, this verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, all her friends also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and here it is, and Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So in the midst of this moment when Mary is at her most broken state, with all hope gone, Jesus weeps. He cries. Is he crying because Lazarus is dead? Is he crying because there's loss? Why is he crying? That's kind of our question. Before we answer it, let's finish out this story. Verse 37, some who see him, they say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So already people are starting to judge Jesus. They don't get it. They don't understand what's really going on. But Jesus is about to show them, isn't he? You know this story probably. And this is where it really gets exciting. Look at this, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, comes to the tomb. So this is where Lazarus is dead. He's been buried for four days. So he's not just sort of dead. He's really dead. He's four days dead. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He says, take away the stone, he says. Which, by the way, if you know the rest of the gospel story, there is so much foreshadowing that's happening right here, isn't there? It's, it's, it's amazing. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Jesus, he's gonna stink. He's not gonna smell good. Jesus doesn't care. Notice Jesus doesn't say, no, he won't. Oh, he knows. Lazarus is gonna stink. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Could you imagine being there at this moment? I mean, you know this guy's dead He's been gone for a while. The stones rolled away. As we know, the smell came out. And you hear this rustling inside. Maybe it's a little dark through. You can't quite see. You hear the rustling, a little more rustling. And then out he comes. And he's still wrapped in his grave clothes. Look at this. It says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So he's like a mummy. And he's coming walking out. I mean, this is the walking dead in real time. And the people would have been terrified. They would have been shocked. There would have been this awe and silence around the place. And Jesus says, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the clothes of death and let him step back into life. So, let's come back to our question. 
Why did Jesus weep? Why did he cry? Did he cry because Lazarus was dead? No. I mean, we saw at the very beginning that Jesus said, I've got a plan. Something is happening here. A glimpse of his omniscience. He knows what's going to happen. Does he cry because someone he loved has been let down? No, because he knows he hasn't let anyone down. This is a setup. He knows that Mary and Martha are about to have one of the greatest, probably the greatest moments of their life until his own resurrection. So he didn't let anybody down. He cries because someone he loves was hurting. In the midst of pain and loss for someone he loved, Jesus Christ. So what do his tears tell us about God? Number one, I think they tell us that God cares, that he cares. He's not some statue, some far-removed God, some self-indulgent deity. He is engaged in our life. John 1.14 says the word God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He became a man, God became a man and moved into our neighborhood. We have a God who cares. He sees our hurts, he sees our pains, he sees what we're going through, he sees our loss. He has a plan, he's always at work, but he cares, he cares. They tell us also that he is not satisfied with the way things are. He is eager to breathe new life into dead lives. That's why in Philippians 2, it says that uh, though he existed in the form of a man, he did not consider, or form of uh, God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to advantage, but instead took on the very nature of a servant and became a man. God became a man because he's not removed from us, he cares, and he's not satisfied with the way things are. And they also, his tears tell us that there is hope that the resurrection is real, that life is eternal, and that it happens right now. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Not I will be the resurrection. Not someday I'll be, but I am the resurrection and the life today. And Jesus commands us through his tears to come out of the death that we live in into life today with him. And so I'll wrap it up by asking, will Jesus cry again? Did Jesus cry over my friend that night on the deck at Woodleaf as she shared about her abuse and pain? Does Jesus cry over disasters, earthquakes, floods, rain, lack of rain, which, by the way, for all of you praying for rain, I just want to say thank you. Check. It's been a great couple of weeks. Does Jesus cry over atrocities committed by us? Does he cry over endless wars, murders, abortions? Does Jesus cry when we disobey him? This last week, when I chose to disobey him, did he cry? Eric Clapton says, or sings about tears in heaven. Are there tears in heaven today? You know, it'd be easy to use all that to manipulate us into some sort of phony righteous living. That's not what it's about at all. 
God's much bigger than any of that. But I do believe that the question is a legitimate one. Does Jesus cry today still? If he does, because I, I honestly can't answer for sure, if he ju- does, it won't be over things seeming out of control because they're not. It won't be because something happened that he didn't want to happen because it won't. If he does, he'll cry because we're crying. Because those young people that we walk with who are hurting are crying. Because you and I are honest enough to say, God, this hurts. You know what he says back? I know. But don't forget, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this uh, morning and the opportunity that we have to come here and hear this. I, I love this story. I love this moment, this event. It speaks so much to me. Lord, I pray that as we've reflected on it, that uh, Cornerstone here, these amazing folks, that this has spoken to them in the way that you would intend. Thank you for breathing life into our sometimes hopeless lives. Thank you for being the resurrection and the life. In your name we pray, amen.